thank you so much that um, we have a storm in our life and you speak peace to that storm. Your words can actually calm the storm. And we uh, recognize that the conflicts outside of us are really reflections of that storm within. And we pray, the Lord, that your voice would speak powerfully to us today and would give us your peace, knowing that, uh, that we can trust everything that we have with you. So we come here today before you, Lord, empty, because we've laid everything down before you. And we trust you, Lord, that you're going to fill us up with good things. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. How y'all doing today? Pretty good. So uh, we're doing this This Is Love series, and the scripture for This Is Love, I love this series. The scripture is, God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. And there's this powerful imagery of this house uh, to abide, to take up residence in love. And I've just been thinking about it. If really... Uh, God, who looks at me all the time, watches me and knows me so well, was to describe me and, and who I am when everybody's gone out of my life. Uh, would God really use the word love to describe that place that I abide in? Uh, is that true for you? If, you, if, if you? if God was to look at your life, would God describe the place that you abide as a place of love? Or would God find some other description? And it's a convicting thing. And obviously, uh, none of us are going to measure up to that description as we should. And that's a good thing too. It means that we need God. It means that if we try to rely on our own power to try to be this person who abides in love, that we can't do it. We actually need God to abide in us so that we can abide in God and abide in love. And so the way that we learn how to do this is through Jesus Christ. Jesus makes all of these things possible. He allows us to do things that are outside of us and beyond our own capacities or abilities. Now, um, I, I have to ask you something. Have you ever been like immobilized in your life? Have you ever found like a, a time in your life where you just feel completely immobilized? Um, I, I, I guess this is kind of what I feel like when I'm immobilized. You know, it's that moment where you feel like, okay, I know the right thing to do. I know exactly what I need to do, but I don't do it. In my job, it would be something like, I know those four phone calls that I need to make in order to kind of get across the finish line, but somehow I'm immobilized by it. Or perhaps there's something in your life, there's something that you know that you should be doing or you should have done but you haven't done it, and so it weighs heavily in your life, and it becomes this kind of weight that you walk around with. And today we're talking about a little bit of a more, a deeper kind of thing that we are supposed to do, and it is called loving our enemies. And so uh, that's a little bit of a spoiler alert. That's a tough thing to do. Um, just as a, a little bit of a strange thing happened today, I had this whole message all prepped and planned, and, and it's still the same message, but, um, and, and it's a message about loving your enemies. And just this morning, uh, someone I hadn't heard from, because I didn't want to hear from them, uh, for the past eight years, texted me this morning. And it's someone that I, I, I'm wrestling with in this relationship with, and, and I... I blocked them. I blocked their phone number, which is a good thing. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's this question of like creating boundaries between those people who have wounded you in the past, those people, who, uh, th- those people who are not good for you, those people who bring about not good things in your life, and to try to figure out what do you do with these people who are essentially your enemy in life or who have been in your, your enemy in life. 
And so that's the big question. That's a, that's a difficult question for us. And so I want you to know um, that this is going to be a tough conversation for you. Uh, it should be. It should be a hard sermon for you to hear. It should, be, um, it should challenge you and, and push you to your limits. And so I want you to know that before we jump into this. This is not going to be an easy sermon, but it is, it is a kind of love. It is God's love, agape love, a divine love. That's the Greek word for love that Jesus uses when he uh, talks about love in this passage. He's talking about a divine love of God uh, that we're talking about that's different than what the world talks about. These are the words that Jesus said in Scripture to his, uh, to his disciples. But I say to you that listen, so if you're not listening, you don't have to listen to this, apparently. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Not, not like, um, not like the, the southern blessing, like, oh, God bless your little soul. Not that kind of blessing. We're talking about really blessing those people who curse you. <clears throat> Pray for those who abuse you. Wow. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. We're not talking about people that you loan your coat to. We're talking about people who steal your coat. Take it away from you. Rip it away from you. And these people that Jesus was talking to only had one coat. So when people take away your coat, it says these words, do not withhold even your shirt. Give them your shirt. To everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, anyone steals from you, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners, even people who are way off the mark, even people who don't know God, those people love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be called children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, when Jesus is talking about the word enemy, he's not talking necessarily just about like a referee that makes a really bad call against your favorite team in the Super Bowl in the last moments of the game so that your team loses for the whole season. Not just those kinds of people that you need to pray for. Jesus is talking about the real enemies of this world, the ones that are seeking for your destruction in this world, that you should figure out a way to love your enemies. You should find some way to, to love them and care for them. Now, he's not asking you to expose yourself to abuse again. He's not asking you to put yourself in harm's way. Or, but what he is asking you to do is he's asking you to find some way to love these people who have been unloving to you in your life. Now, in the scripture, we have this incredible, we have this incredible um, story of the church exploding, just growing like gangbusters. There's so many people added to the church that they actually can't keep up with the needs of the people 
in the congregation. I mean, we're talking 3,000, 5,000. People just keep getting added. And so there was a whole group of people in the congregation called the Gentiles. They were, the not, they were not the people who were Jewish and then became Christ followers. They were Gentiles. They were not non-Jewish people who became Christ followers. They didn't know anything about Old Testament God. They just became followers of Jesus. And so these people, the people who are non-Jewish, they actually were feeling really discriminated against. They were feeling like they were being left out in the distribution of the, of the food to the poor and the widows and to the orphans. They said, you know what, isn't it interesting that all the people who are, uh, who are Jewish Christ followers, those people are getting first scraps from the table and all the other people aren't getting anything or, or, or being left out. And so what did the church do? I love this. The elders of the church, they actually all came together and they said, okay, well, um, then, then we are going to appoint all Gentiles to this office of deacon. We're going to appoint all these outsiders to the office of deacon, and they're going to make sure that the Gentiles receive the food that they need. And so they created this office of deacon. Last week, we had the meeting of the congregation. It was this great big party at this church. And guess what we did? We had new officers that were elders and deacons, the same offices that you hear about in the, in the New Testament. Same thing. The same, same structure. So listen to this. This is what happens. This guy named Stephen. Have you ever heard of Stephen? Stephen gets appointed to the office of deacon. And this is what scripture says. It says these words. Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Well, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedom, of the freedmen. Okay, watch out for any, like, any group that calls themselves the freedmen, okay? There's a little, little arrogance there probably or something. Anyway, then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and others of those from Cilicia and Asia stood up and argued with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with Stephen, the spirit with which he spoke. Then they secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes. And then they suddenly confronted him, seized him, and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us. And all who sat in the council looked at him intently. Can you just guys just like all look at me intently for a second? I just want to see what that feels like. Oh, that's awful. Don't do that again. No. (laughs) They all looked at him intently and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. And then the high priest asked him, are these things so? Well, then Stephen preaches a sermon that's actually recorded in the New Testament. It's like pages and pages of good news about who God is from the Old Testament all the way down to Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ was and what he did and what he was about. And, and, and then he unfortunately has to tell the truth that the people he's talking to were partaking and participating in the crucifixion of Jesus and that they needed to recognize who Jesus really was, that they had crucified someone that was beautiful and perfect And that truth started to sink into them. And those people, they started to realize that the person that was their enemy in life was actually someone that they should have been loving. And instead of walking toward this truth that Stephen is presenting them with, they step backward because they can't handle it. Because it's too much for them to cross over into loving that person that they know that they should be loving rather than hating the person that's in front of them. And so because they hear that truth, they fight against it. 
And this is the words that, that scripture says. It says, when they heard these things, they became enraged, enraged and ground their teeth, teeth at Stephen. Would you guys all grind your teeth at the same time? No, I'm just kidding. That's <laughs> disgusting. They ground their teeth at Stephen, but filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout, all rushed together against him. Would you guys all rush together shouting? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. With a loud shout, they all rushed together against him, and then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They took up little stones. And if you want to know the most brutal way of killing another human being, it's by doing this. I think it's one of the most horrible things I've ever heard of. Have you ever had like a snowball hit you? Like an like a icy snowball, the one that hurts? Or a stone? Has anybody ever thrown a stone at you, one stone, and it hurt really bad and left a bruise? Imagine that happening, not just once, not twice, but hundreds, thousands of times until your body turns into like, you know, imagine like tenderizing chicken, like just turns into something limp and disgusting and, and you die. It's awful. This is what this perverse group of people were doing. This is what these, this, this community was doing, something so evil. I mean, to even comprehend the depth of this evil. I don't even think that we can even really wrap our minds around the kind of mob mentality that was taking place and that each person was just kind of throwing a stone. It was like, you know, no one in particular was killing Stephen. It's just everybody was killing Stephen, this person who just preached the truth to them, this wonderful, wonderful human being. And it says, and the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Do you know who that is? Later he encountered Jesus Christ, spoiler alert, and he changed his name to Paul. We'll get to that later. So while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. And Saul, Paul, approved of their killing him. Isn't it amazing that in this very last moment of Stephen's life, what he does is he prays for his enemies? He actually prays, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Welcome them into this life of forgiveness that I know. Please bless them, Lord. Please lift them up. Don't hold this against them. I don't know if I could, if I could go to that place. That's loving your enemies. And that's what Stephen was doing. I heard about a, a preacher that was uh, preaching this same scripture, and he asked his congregation, he said, how many people have a lot of enemies? And basically everybody raised their hand. And then like, he said, how many people have only a couple of enemies? And, and there was like 10. And then he said, how many people have no enemies? And one guy at the back, one 90-year-old guy says, I don't have any. And the pastor said, you got to come up here and preach this sermon then. So he brought him up here and he said, first, before you get him preach, he says, can you tell me why, why, how is it you live without, no, without any enemies? And the, the, guy, the 90-year-old guy goes, all those bastards are dead. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't write it. I just told it. <laughs> Loving your enemies is, is not that easy. Now, I was told earlier today that who I'm about to introduce you to is an enemy of a lot of people. And it's going to be hard for a lot of people to actually hear a good story about this person, but I'll just throw him up there anyway. Um, <laughs> his name's Tom Brady, quarterback for a uh, small 
small town football team. And I was talking to someone last week about Tom Brady, and um, they said, you know what's interesting about Tom Brady is that he knows how to win. Like at the very end of the game, he knows how to just, just dial it in, and that's the moment when he's able to accomplish a win. He's able to focus and, and, and in that moment achieve a win when other people, they just kind of shrink back. And it's, it's interesting, they say that in sports that it's very rare that you'll find players who are as good on the field as they are in practice. Because once you get into the game, the pressure's on and, and, and it's the same game, but you just somehow shrink back. And then the pressure's even bigger when it's the Super Bowl, right? And then it's even bigger than that when it's the last few minutes of the Super Bowl and you have an opportunity to make a win. And what I'm telling you is that what you are being confronted with today in the words of Jesus to love your enemy is a greater challenge than winning the Super Bowl because the wounds are real and the people are real and the pain is real and what those people have tried to do to you is wrong. But to find some way to love our enemies is what Jesus calls us to do. You see, um, Think about your enemy. I mean, think, think about someone who really wants destruction of you in this world. Let's, let's assume that person is Kim Jong-un, right? Is it Kim Jong-un? Is it, am I getting that right? It's not? Yeah, okay. Il-un, I don't know. I'm learning, I'm learning. What if your greatest prayer for him was that he would have the fullness of life, of joy in Jesus Christ? You know, we all pray those prayers. Lord, we pray that you would just take care of that person. That, you, you, that person would experience the truth of who they are and the truth of who you are. But then to go one step further and say, God, I just pray that that person would experience just a total conversion of mind, heart, and soul. And that that person would then be, be like a source of light within their community. And that they would actually become like Paul. You see, I think it's very interesting um, that Paul encounters Jesus Christ and this person that Stephen prays for. Stephen was praying for Paul. In his last moments, Paul is standing there murdering Stephen and Stephen's praying for Paul and he's saying, pray that this person would be released of this, that you wouldn't hold this person against them. They'll hold this sin against these people. And Stephen's prayer was answered in Paul when he encountered Jesus and became, instead of a person who was persecuting other people, he was loving them. He was caring for them. And he was willing to go and be stoned and beat up and, and, and mocked and ridiculed and persecuted himself because he knew of what he had was more powerful than all of those things. It's difficult. It's really difficult. Years ago, um, I had a really hard relationship with one of my grandparents. And this grandparent, um, I, I couldn't figure it out. I felt like I was being singled out in a way. And uh, this grandparent was doing something that I had finally figured out was withholding love. That's how I described it, withholding love from me in my life. And, um, and when I figured that out and, and how much pain it had caused me over the years, and I decided that I needed to just break it off, that I needed to create some space between myself and that relationship because it was too painful for me. And so I'm driving down the road and I'm, I remember driving down the road and I say, I am done with this. I am, I, I'm so sick of this person withholding love from me in, in my life. I am going to withhold love from them. <laughs> and then 
I felt like God was speaking to me and saying, this stops now. You are not going to become like that. You're not going to become that person that withholds love in your life. You're not going to let that cycle perpetuate itself again and again and again. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Listen to what Paul writes. It's amazing what Paul writes, this one who has been changed in his life. He says in Romans, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't be self-righteous. But associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Don't be arrogant. Do not pay in, repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Do you notice he says, so far as it depends upon you, if it is possible, that it's important. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. This is where scripture is telling us, you know what? Don't be the judge. God can be the judge. God can hand out all of those things. God can take care of the evil people in this world. God can do that. We have our job to speak out, of course, and to protect those who are innocent, but we also have, have to trust that God will, God will take care of them because that is not our job. It says, no, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with with good. I love there's this passage that has been circulating around the minds and the hearts of this congregation for the past couple of weeks, and it is this, this passage that says, I have fought the good fight. That's what Paul says at the very end of his life. This is like the last prayer that we hear from Paul. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. See, fighting the good fight, according to Paul, so different than the kind of good fight that the rest of the world would want us to believe. It's a radical truth. And it calls us to, to do the things that are impossible, which is to love and forgive our enemies, which really can only happen through the grace of God. See, God is looking at us and saying, gosh, do you know you've turned your back on me? You have participated in the crucifixion. Any time that you've said, I don't know who Jesus is, you've helped to put Jesus up in that place. You are the person who actually deserves just as much judgment as anybody else. But do you know what God does to you in your life? God says, I love you. I forgive you. I release you of those things. How awesome that we were singing <clears throat> before this, those words, deliver me from my enemies. We pray that in the Lord's prayer, deliver me from my enemies. You want to be delivered from your enemies today? Well, then let's stand and let's pray for them. And it's not easy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we pray for our enemies. We pray that you would not hold anything against them. And, and Lord, let, let us be the people who are not just walking forgiven, because that's not enough. We need to be the people who are extending forgiveness to truly be free. 
And so, Lord, we thank you that you are taking us along this journey through this thing called This is Love as we come to understand more and more about your agape. Oh, we can't do this without you, God. This is a bigger challenge than we can do. And so we call on your spirit, we call on your voice and your guidance in our life so that we can begin to love our enemies. So that we can be your presence, your reflection in this world, your light in this world. And Lord, I pray that, that as we do this, we would begin to see the truth that love conquers all. That love is more pow- the most powerful weapon that we have. And so, Lord, as we do this, we pray that um, we would become more graceful people, and more loving people, and that we would discover how loving and graceful you are. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' holy name. All God's people said...